0: Welcome to How My Country Works with your host Stephen O'Shea. Next up in West Africa, with the capital Ouagadougou, a population of 27.5 million, and functioning as a presidential democracy, is Cameroon. In 2018, Paul Biya was re-elected president of Cameroon for his seventh term. The aging autocrat, who will turn 90 this year, has been president of Cameroon for the last 40 years and is the continent's second longest-serving leader. However, President Bayer is now struggling to keep the peace in his country, the primary element that made him acceptable to Western leaders. Since 2016, he has been battling a minor civil war with the English-speaking region of the country. But how did the country of Cameroon get to this place? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Cameroon, I'm joined on the show by Dr. Serafin Camden, who is a lecturer of African Studies at SOAS University of London. Serafin, welcome to the show. And could you start by just giving us a bit of an introduction to Cameroon?
1: Cameroon is a very interesting country, but there are a number of things about the country that many people don't know or that they really would benefit from knowing because it's a very Interesting country in terms of its history.
0: Absolutely. So could we start with a bit of that history?
1: Towards the end of the 19th century, the Germans came to the area that is known today as Cameroon and then they settled there and they colonised as the German Cameroon.
0: Interesting. But the countries that come to dominate Cameroon are actually France and Britain. How does that happen?
1: With the First World War and the fact that the Germans lost the First World War, Cameroon was then granted as a mandate territory to both France and the uh, United Kingdom, the British Empire. So it was then divided into what was then known as French Cameroon and then the British Cameroons. So that's where... The sort of dual linguistic heritage which has led to the official bilingualism of French and English in Cameroon came from.
0: Right, of course. So the country is actually split in two by the colonial powers and is dominated by them for around 50 years. How does it eventually achieve its independence?
1: The independence was a story of the UPC, the Union de Population Camerounaises, which is the Union of uh, Populations of Cameroon, you know, if I want to keep the acronym UPC, which was a nationalist movement led by Ruben Umniobé. Unfortunately, and this is the part that many historians either get a bit confused or don't get the full picture those who were given independence, which was Amadou Aïjo, were not those who were fighting for independence. So the nationalists actually continued to be fought by the new independent government in 1960. And there was a bloody war against those who were then considered at the time like the Roberts. And that war was supported by the French government, which sent military troops.
0: Right. So the country achieves independence in 1961, but it's pretty unstable, and there's notable infighting between the different groups involved.
1: So we have this party in a number of sub-Saharan African countries. The case of Angola is still in our minds, and we know that the local government, after independence, continued to, you know, go after those who were fighting for genuine independence. So that again gives a picture of uh, a complex situation where the fight for independence led to independence, but then after independence, those who were fighting for the independent Cameroon were then being fought by the new regime that took power.
0: Yeah, right. And this government is headed up by Ahmedou Ahidjo as the country's first president, but then he's succeeded by Paul Bayer in 1982. And Bayer has remained in charge to this day, even though he's currently 89 years old. Can you tell us a bit more about Paul Bayer?
1: He is the product, and that has to be said. Um, He's the product of what is known as the France-Afrique. He's part of the system of leaders that have been put in power in sub-Saharan Africa with the direct hands of the French, in the sense of, supporting the military that maintain them in power and making sure that there is a cordon of you know intelligence system that allows them to either win the elections repeatedly these are rigged elections the last elections in cameroon there was no international observers it was totally rigged and that has been documented it's been put in front um, as a case to the United, uh, the, the, the African Union and a number of international organisations, even the UN.
0: So there are elections, but they're not exactly free and fair. But how did Paul Bayer actually get into this position in the first place?
1: He was the prime minister under Aijo from 1975. That's why some historians are very clear that Paul Bia has been actually within what you would consider as presidential power from 1975. It is true. Because in 1975, he was already prime minister with executive power. That is, he is like the vice president in the American system at the time. When Aijo resigned, that is, you know, relinquished power in 1982, constitutionally, Paul Biya then, assumed office as president of the republic, because that was what was in the constitution. But he made sure to change the constitution so that that cannot happen, because he was always afraid that if something were to happen to him, or if he were forced to resign, then his prime minister would take power. So he made sure he would, you know, cut the bridge that he had just crossed to get to power. So from 1975, he was prime minister with vice-presidential power, so to say. Interesting. 1982, he takes over from Aïjo because Aïjo had decided for a number of reasons that today uh, remain very nebulous. We don't know exactly what was the arrangement with France to resign and to relinquish power, which then passed on to Paul Bia. Paul Bia, 1982, has been winning each and every election for the last 40 years and that cannot be a democratic system because there is a history of popular unrest which has culminated into what you know today being called the civil war in the noso the noso is the northwest and southwest provinces which is raging now with thousands of victims and casualties. So Paul Biya took power from Aïjo, from 82, and has been the president since. It's a very dictatorial regime, you know, and he's been in power for 40 years so far.
0: That's so fascinating, as I think, because you don't hear about Cameroon too much in the Western media, people assume that the country is relatively stable and free but it actually has one of the longest-serving authoritarian leaders in the world. Can you also talk more about the civil war you mentioned?
1: Yes, the current civil war is the two Anglophone regions. So the administrative structure of Cameroon or divisions of Cameroon is that you have what used to be called provinces, which is literally like the you know the states, if you want to find some sort of equivalence and they are now called regions. So you have 10 of them making up Cameroon. Eight of them are formerly French-speaking. That is is what was known as le Cameroun francophone or Cameroon français, so French-speaking francophone. And two of them are what used to be the British Cameroons. And those Anglophones, as they are called locally, have always been discriminated against for various reasons by the majority of the Francophone elite who has been running the country and has the real control of political power, even though there are a number of mechanisms for power sharing. And it is those frustrations, that discrimination that has accumulated over the decades that actually exploded out from 2016 when there were marches in the streets in those Anglophone regions asking for basic recognition of the anglophones' rights for the validation of their education system. For example, when it came to legal issues, that it didn't make sense that they would go into a court in the anglophone region and there would be, you know, the trials and the court proceeding would be totally in French, but also by judges who were francophone and had not been trained into the Anglophone law system, legal system, which is actually inherited and still based on the British system.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So because the government didn't cave in and didn't allow for even basic dialogue to listen to the Anglophone, because the first reaction of the government was repression and the desire to absolutely crush any sort of rebellion, even institutional rebellion from the Anglophone, it then spiraled into more violence, more repression. The military was deployed, and then the Ambazonians started and then they got armed and then that's how the civil war escalated into the terrible tragedy that we know now.
0: Yeah, that is such a tragic spiral that has already cost thousands of lives. And the United Nations declared the
1: Anglophone region in humanitarian crisis as far back as 2018. And they did that because they had observed that it was a full-scale civil war with so many casualties and victims. There are a number of criteria that get the United Nations to declare a humanitarian crisis. So that's roughly the situation, you know, I've tried to put together various aspects of what is the current civil war in the two Anglophone regions of Cameroon. Thanks so
0: much for that, Seraphim. I think that will really help people understand the situation in the country. But just to move away from the civil war before we finish, could you tell us a bit about an event or festival that is celebrated in the country so we can get a better understanding of the culture?
1: Cameroon is also the country that actually brought African football to the world stage. And that was many, many years back when we were the first country to get to the, I think the quarter final of the World Cup. And in 1990, we almost beat England out of the World Cup. So that's something that Cameroon has been very well known for because it was the first time that, you know, a country from Africa went to the World Cup and came back literally undefeated even though we didn't make it, let's say, to the final. It's also the country of great music. You know, some of the names that, you know, have brought Cameroonian music to the world stage. You know, Manu Dibango has been, you know, a great figure of international jazz for so many years. So uh, there are the fact that Cameroon, and this is maybe where Cameroon really is unique and this is really important because it's true, Cameroon has literally the languages representative of the three out of the four major language families of Africa. And in terms of the climate, Cameroon has part of the Atlantic coast with all what you can think of, the beaches, the beautiful you know, uh, environment, the climate, because Cameroon broke away from the northeast of Brazil. So, if you take the northeast of Brazil and you fit it back, you just connect to Cameroon. So, we have the same sort of natural habitat as you would find in northeast Brazil. So, you have the Equatorial Rainforest, but you have the savanna region, like around the Sahelian belly in a number of West African countries. Then you have Cameroon going all the way because it's a triangle into Lake Chad, which is literally the Sahelian zone. So you have the equatorial rainforest, you have the coastal region, you have the very rich and beautiful fauna and flora that you expect from very lush, you know, forests, very rainy. And then you have very dry towards the north where it's literally like semi-desertic. So Cameroon is a beautiful place to visit and to see because it's all across from the coast into the Sahel.
0: That sounds so beautiful. Well, I can't wait to visit. Thanks so much for your time today, Serafin. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Dr. Serafin Camden. Join us next time where we'll be discussing the North African nation of Canada, which has been influenced significantly by both its French and English past as well. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at How My Country Works for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Cameroon or any other country. This podcast is produced by Stephen O'Shea, and sound editing is by Luke Dimsey. See you next time, and remember to keep asking, How My Country Works.